Okay, so today we are studying the Parsha Hashavua. We're talking about the Parsha of Toldot. Yeah? Vayishlach. Vayetze Vayishlach. We're talking about Vayishlach. I tried to trick you. Okay. Toldot right. was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just going to go. So today yeah. we're doing the Parsha of Vayishlach. I also want to just mention this uh, right in the beginning and try to tie it in a little bit later on also. Today is the 14th day of Kislev, Yudalit Kislev, Yudalit Kislev, which is tonight is Yudalit Kislev. Tomorrow is Yudalit Kislev. It's after my river, so it's the 14th day of Kislev. What's this special about the 14 days of Kislev? Generally, the whole month of Kislev has a lot of significant days for Chabad. Chabad Kislev. Besides Chanukah, of course, at the end, Chavhei is Chanukah. But especially the month of Kislev has many holidays which is associated with Chabad. Today, Yudalit Kislev is the anniversary of the marriage of the Rebbe to the Rebbe. They got married on 14th day of Kislev. It's very interesting to, uh, to note that um, when sometimes you know you have a Rebbe that follows is a son from the previous Rebbe so like a father will give empower his son maybe sometimes the oldest son most of the time like when there is a king for example the, also the rule is if the son of the king is qualified he comes first you take the uh, a son-in-law is different. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe only had three daughters. He had no sons. He only had three daughters. Um, one of them, unfortunately, together with her husband, was murdered by the Germans, Yimach Shimon. One of them was murdered. Uh, and two of his daughters, the older one, married a person named Rabbi Gurari, Shemario Gurari. And the uh, middle one was married, the Rebbe married the middle one. Her name was Chaya, Chaya Mushka. So she was the, uh, the Rebbe. And that was the second daughter of the, um, of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, it's very um, hard for us to imagine the great difficulties that the people had in their lives. I mean, people who live in Eretz Yisrael more than us that live in the diaspora, they feel a lot of times a lot of the um, struggles that the Jewish people had throughout their history more than we feel it over here because in Israel there's always, you have to deal with the terrorists, you have to deal with the wars, you have to deal with the various different kind of people that are trying to hurt you and do bad to you. Uh, for us over here, we just read about it and uh, we hear about it, and, uh, but we don't live it. But they live it over there on a day-to-day basis. And you know, they, we have everybody in Israel has to enlist in the army to help protect and fight uh, for for Israel, for the Jewish people, for the land of Israel, and for the Jewish people. But Jewish history in the time of the previous Rebbe, they lived in, 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 in Russia at the time. It was a very, very difficult time. And 
it was difficult for everybody. I mean, it was it was times of war. Uh, this was what I'm talking about. This was before the Second World War. It was after between the World War One and World War Two. Uh, in Russia, the communist regime took over in 1917. They took over, and the communists, they were uh, very strong. And there was also a whole Jewish section under the communists, and they were very strong about uprooting any religious affiliation. They didn't want not only Jewish, but any affiliation, any any religion. They didn't want any religion. To them, religion was kind of a... A drug. It was uh, people whose minds are being uh, sort of brainwashed to some sort of a religion, and they did whatever they can to prevent Yiddishkeit and uh, the, the, the study, the practice, and most important, they realized that you need to educate the children so that there should be a next generation. So they were against uh, educating. Uh, Sending them to cheder, sending them to yeshiva, sending them to uh, day schools or schools—they—they—they they, they, they were against it, and they went into the underground. Uh, most of the people in in uh, in that time couldn't really resist the uh, all the all the troubles that they had, and you know either. If they could escape, it was very difficult. You couldn't escape. It was the Iron Curtain, as you know. They didn't allow anybody out. Uh, but over time, the Jewish people, they sort of uh, slowly left their religion, most of them. That's why when you have like Russian people that you come today, you meet some elderly Russian people, they vaguely remember, oh, we used to do Pesach, and my grandmother or my grandfather used to do go to shul sometimes. So they have like vague memories. But by and large, they also, they didn't, you know, they didn't allow people to go to shul. So it was very difficult. During that time, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was the leader, and he ran an underground yeshiva, a network of yeshivas, and it was very, very difficult. Eventually, they arrested him, and they were going to, um, you know, in Russia at that time, there was no court cases, and there was no defense, and there was no opportunity to defend yourself you know they just they would kill people they would send them away you know they would just do stalin you know with his henchmen you know they were just you know totally out of control what they did so it was miraculously that in 1927 the previous Lubavitcher rebbe miraculously miraculously again you know we say the word miraculously but if you really have a feel for what went on during that time, you would see that the Russian government, the uh, communists, they didn't bend for anybody and they didn't care about anything, no human rights, no nothing. And still, they allowed the previous Rebbe to leave Russia and his family. This was in 1927, he was released of prison. And then in the end of 1927, in the beginning of 1928, they actually packed up and they led Russia. Now, the Rebbe was supposed to give a list of people who are family members because they didn't let anybody else go. You had to be a family member. So, of course, his children and everybody else. When it came to the Rebbe, they said, who is this? Well, the Rebbe's last name was also Schneerson because they're... But who is he? So, the Rebbe wrote, he is the Chatan. He's the groom for... My daughter, this is the Chatan. 
So the people, uh, the uh, officers over there said, Chatan? Chatan doesn't go out. Why do you need a Chatan from here? Go to whatever, to Poland, to Latvia, wherever they were going, and find a Chatan over there. What do you need to take a Chatan from Russia? And the Rebbe said, a Chatan like this, I'm not going to find anywhere. <laughs> that was the Rebbe. So, <laughs> so, he, so they let the Rebbe out also at the time. Unfortunately, the Rebbe got married to, to about two years later, and uh, the Rebbe's parents were not able to come. They were in Nepepetrovsk, no, now in Yekaterinoslav. Uh, they were back there. They didn't let him out. So it was sort of a summer. It was a, uh, uh, an uplifting moment at the Rebbe's wedding for the... Uh, Rebbe suffered a lot through his imprisonment, through his struggles, and then later on he continuously, you know, um, went from city to city. They were trying to settle somewhere. They didn't they got a place to settle. It was very, very difficult. And his health also suffered uh, tremendously from that. So the chasen at that wedding that took place, it was something special. It was one of an uplifting moment in the family, in the free world at that time. So the Rebbe said uh, many times that this day, Yudalat Kislev is the day that connects me with you. Because, of course, you know, Chabad is a lineage of the Rebbe's, which were all uh, son after son. Besides, the third Rebbe was also a son-in-law. So the first Rebbe was Shner Zaman, the outer Rebbe. His next or the second one was his son. But the third one was also a son-in-law. It was the son-in-law of the second Rebbe. And our Rebbe is a son-in-law of the previous Rebbe. The other very interesting coincidence is they were both called Menachem Mendel and their wives were called Chaya Mushka. Tzemach <laughs> Tzedek, his name was Menachem Mendel, his wife was Chaya Mushka, and the Rebbe was Menachem Mendel, his wife Chaya Mushka. That was just, just interesting. So I want to mention this today because the Rebbe said this day brought us together because the fact that he married the Rebbe's daughter that gave him the, the right and the continuation to become the Rebbe, the follower and the continuation of the Chabad movement. So, did, that, did the other daughter have any children? There was no, see, this is yeah, the thing. They had children? No, no. The, the, the Karari. They had one son. What did he end up doing? One second. And that one son had no children. So there was one son. Wow. So the previous Rebbe had one grandchild. But look at all the Rebbe's children. <laughs> I mean, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, talking about Yudal Kislev and the Parsha. You know, when we try to compare, you know, a little bit just to the story about, uh, about Yaakov. So here is... You know, Yaakov seemed also to be the one who suffered a great deal. You know, for a lot of, a lot of problems. All the Avraham, Avraham had problems too, right? Avraham was thrown into the furnace. Avraham's wife was taken away twice by Avimelech, by King Pharaoh. Avraham was tested ten times. There was a famine. Okay, he had struggles. Then Yitzchak also. Yitzchak dug wells. They 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 stole the wells from him. 
they took his wife Rivka, Melech took her also. He also had his share as a problem. But it doesn't seem like anybody had as much problems like Yaakov. Yaakov seems to have had from the three forefathers, he had the most tzoros, he had the most troubles. Where do we see this? Because, first of all, already, while in the mother's womb, uh, there was already Esau and Yaakov were already battling over there. So by So there was already a struggle going on. But certainly we know that Esau, after the whole incident when Yaakov took the blessings, Esau wanted to kill him. And he had to run away. So where did he run away to? He runs away to his uncle, to his mother's brother. But he had no picnic by Lovan. His later on, eventually, as you see, that he cries out to, he says when eventually he's tricked him, first he works for him seven years for Rachel, he gives him Leah, then he gives him also Rachel, and then eventually he works for him, and then finally when Yaakov sees that you know he can not, no longer handle it anymore, so Yaakov says to him, he says, I'm already 20 years. I was frostbitten at night time. And the heat in the daytime, he was uncomfortable and he was... And he said, you changed my pay all the time. Rashi says, 100 times, 10 times 10 as a money. If we made up this, you came back and you changed it again and again. He constantly was cheated, deceived, difficulty. And finally, finally, he leaves his uncle, and they are, he's leaving, he's heading home. Now, Esau is coming to greet him with 400 men. Now he's going to fight. And Yaakov finds himself again, he's afraid. He says, Hatzileni no miyadachi miyad kiyare He's afraid now that he's going to come. He's going to go. He's again afraid. He gets ready. He gives him a gift. And he spends a lot of money for his gift to give him to maybe appease him. Praise to Hashem. He also gets ready to fight. You know, what are you going to do? Get ready to fight. I mean, that's what we do. You know, we... We in, in Eretz Yisrael, we don't pick no fights. We don't want to be a fight. I said, when we visited Israel the last time, was about a year ago, a year and a few months ago. So at nighttime, we were traveling to the airport because we had an early flight. So it wasn't too much traffic and there was, we can sort of enjoy the ride. And we looked on the, from the Kvish, you can see an oldest, built up these beautiful buildings, glass, you know, shining, and, and, and all the, it's, 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 it's like nothing to be ashamed of America. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And you think to yourself, having to fight the terrorists, having to fight the wars, and the Gaza, this, and still, look what they built. <laughs> look what they built, it's like unbelievable. Can you imagine if they just let us alone a little bit? They would give us a little menucha, they would give us a little bit peace so that we can really develop and do. They're always making us fight. Because Israel isn't looking for fights. Oh, what they want is 
let us live in peace and 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 quiet. We have a little tiny piece of Eretz Israel. What do we have? A small piece of Eretz Israel. You have so much that let us just live and know. But it's amazing. It's amazing, amazing. So Yaakov, the same way, he doesn't have a choice. Yes, he'll fight. If he has to fight, he'll fight. And he'll fight for his life. And he makes the tactics. He split on. So Yaakov went through a lot. You know, in our lifetimes, we don't always have easy lives. Sometimes, you know, our youths are not, you know, are not so good. You know, sometimes we don't have good memories from when we were children, from our childhood. Hopefully we do, but not everybody does. There are a lot of situations where people uh, suffer traumatic experiences during their lifetime. Some people don't feel loved, some people don't feel cared for, some people feel uh, there is sibling rivalry, there is uh, competition, there is envious, there is there's so many things, there is so much service in this world, there are so many problems. And, you know, a lot of times, even when our situation improves, even when we feel better, we become better, but sometimes there is a scar, a little bit of the pain, a little bit of the, an emotional scar, a physical scar. There's sometimes things that we went through, experiences, and even if, thank God, we don't have to deal with that anymore, but it doesn't mean that we healed completely. We still may feel lots of times that there's baggage left over. You know, everybody can know themselves, you know, maybe their fears, maybe their insights, maybe as children what they had, what they had to experience and endure. Sometimes you were bullied, maybe you were taunted, maybe you were uh, other things, you know, and then even subconsciously you don't know, you know, but sometimes it keeps on, it keeps on, you know, maybe sometimes you feel that you parents uh, chose another child more than you, you know, or sometimes you feel that you grew up in poverty and you didn't have, while well, the kids in the class were able to uh, get things and you couldn't, uh, you know, you go to the grocery store and you want to buy whatever you like, but not everybody can buy, maybe you couldn't, you know, and this, but those are things that look. I was once heard a, uh, from an older rabbi was saying, uh, he said a parable, he said that there was once a, uh, um, a child who misbehaved, he caused his father a lot of, a lot of grief. He, he used to, every day they used to get a phone call from school that the kid is not behaving, and then they would get a, a complaint from the neighbor that he, he did something on the grass over there every time. It was, it was just, parents didn't know what to do. He was just a, a problem kid. What did he do? So one time the father decided every time the child is going to do something bad, he's going to put a nail into the wall <laughs> as a remembrance of what he did. And, okay, and be sure enough, the kid was, <laughs> did a lot of stuff, and the wall in the bedroom was full with nails. Uh, and then the child grew up and he says one day to his father, he says, Ta, or Abba, he says, what's all this 
Masmerim. What are all these nails? Bakir. What are they doing in the wall? What do we have all these nails in the wall? Abba Omer. Kol Pam. Every time that you did something that you cost me heartache, you made me feel bad, I put a nail to the wall. Ah, he says, Abba, he says, I'm so sorry for doing that. He says, but I want to, tell me, how do I fix it? I want to fix it. <laughs> I don't want any more nails. How do I fix it? So the father says, he says, you know what? Every time, he says, you do anachat ruach, you give me pleasure, you do something good, I'm going to take out a nail. Okay. So now he was already more mature, he was already uh, more logical understanding, so now pretty quickly all the nails were gone. So he says, Abba, he says, look, all the nails are gone. Abba, yesham adayin chor. There's still a hole in the wall. And the father said, well, the hole remains. You can't fully take away, you know, some of the hole that you did, the aggravation, some of the things, you know. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, you hurt somebody. And then you say you're sorry, you know. Whether it's a friend, a child, a child to a parent, you know, and then you say... You say you're sorry, you know. Hopefully you're sincerely sorry. But it doesn't mean that you can take away all the pain. The saying sorry is good. It can help you maybe from this point and on. It doesn't mean... When I heard the story, I said, well, but you know what? You can actually put some plaster and paint and, and touch it up and make it, <laughs> make it look even nicer than before. But that's... Like in the level of teshuva we have in the halacha, in the repentance, there is various different degrees. Simple level of teshuva, repentance takes away the sin. If you do a more powerful teshuva, then you can actually turn uh, the nail into hanging up uh, pictures, beautiful pictures. <laughs> you turn it in, into a mitzvah. You know, sometimes if the Avera got you to do the mitzvah. But back to our discussion a lot of times, the suffering that we go through and the pain that we had doesn't just automatically go away when we no longer have the pain or when we're sort of makes up. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's level less, and sometimes there is in our subconscious. The interesting thing is, what does it say by Yaakov? So after all these uh, trials and all these tribulations, the verse says, interesting by Yaakov, it says, Yaakov came shalem. Shalem means whole, complete. He came whole, he came complete to the city of Shechem. What does this mean, he came shalem? So Rashi gives you the commentary. Rashi says, shalem begufo, shalem he was complete and wholesome in his body. He was complete and wholesome in his fortune, in his monetary state. And he was complete in his 
study of the Torah, of the Torah. Rashi explains, because, first of all, not only that the things that I mentioned before, did Yaakov have to battle uh, Esau and Lavan, but Yaakov also had to battle the angel. We know the angel, until dawn. He had a battle, he had to struggle. Which means, he had a f- spiritual encounter with an angel of Esau, who took Esau's side, and he was trying to wrestle down. We have to understand it also metaphorically, to wrestle down, to push him down, to pull him down from where he was standing. But he could not. Yaakov was strong. The Jewish people are strong. You can't wrestle them down. However, he got him to limp. He kicked him, he caused him to limp. Yeah. The enemies of the Jewish people sometimes can succeed causing us pain, killing some people, maiming some people, but they can't put us down. They can't put us down. So Yaakov was physically wounded. His body was wounded. That he was healed from his limping. He no longer limps. He was whole. The other thing, he needed to spend a ton of money. <laughs> Gave a gift to Esau to make him happy. So he spent all this money, gave him all the show, the, the camels and the dung and all, all, all the, this huge gift. Rashi says, interesting, there was nothing lacking. He had everything, which means notwithstanding that he spent all this money, that he gave away so much, still he had everything that he stayed shalom. And finally, I mean, a lot of us say we would rather not go to work. We would rather not be involved. We like to study all day and do mitzvahs all day. And Yaakov was busy. Yaakov did not have a chance to study Torah while he was 20 years in the house of love. I mean, I'm sure whatever he had a chance, he did, but he had to work. He had to attend to this and then to that, and that was always the time. So it turns out that he didn't have so much opportunity to spend as much time as he wanted studying Torah. So therefore, the Pasuk Rashi says, Sholem B'Tayrasi, that he didn't forget his learning even though he spent the time by Lovon, in love, I didn't forget this hurt. So, which means, notwithstanding all the scars and all the sorrows and all the troubles and all the uh, hardship that he went through, notwithstanding, he came out unscathed. There was nothing left. There's nothing of his previous, nothing of his sorrows, nothing that he came out to Shalom. And the question is, how do you come out Shalom after such an experience? How do you come out? after life throws at you these curveballs and throws you these various different situations and hardships, how do you 
stay strong and how don't you let these things cause you, pull you down and push you down and get you to be upset, get you to be depressed, get you to be, you know, throw in the towel and just, 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 just become angry at the world or become uh, a person of anger. You know, just how do you, how do you overcome that? What do we see by Yaakov? But not only that, you see that Yaakov, where did Yaakov build his family? In Haran. In Lavan, with Lavan, by Haran, over there in Lavan, not in Israel. During the most difficult time, 11 children, 11 boys, and one girl, and Dina, they were all born to them where? In, in, in Haran, by Lavan. It reminds me of the Shluchim, of the Chabad Shluchim. And now we also have the Shluchot. Uh, uh, you know, by Yitzhak Yaakov, they leave, you go away from your place of comfort. You go away from your comfort zone. Uh, you know, you take a shaliach who lives in a community, has the support of the community, and he has um, physically, financially, uh, and also spiritually, he has all of his needs. And she has all his needs. You take a young couple, and you send them away to China, or you send them away to some other godforsaken place to go find a Jew to see maybe you can get them interested in the tradition, maybe you can get them interested in Judaism, maybe teach them something. And what do you do? You give up. You have to live in a world with deception, a world with difficulties, with challenges. There's no kosher food. There's no kosher grocery. There's no school to send your children to yeshiva or to uh Sefer. There's nowhere. And there's no real shul or anybody that thinks alike like you to be at your level. So basically is you go out by Yaakov, last week's parsha, you go out and over there you meet all kinds of people. Yaakov tells us that he built, the story of Yaakov says that's where he built his home. That's where he was successful at the end of the day. It was over there, in the place, in the most difficult, challenging places, where he found his main success. That's what his success. You know, when the Rebbe started, the Rebbe had an enormous task. We're talking about the Rebbe's marriage and his connection with Chabad and official capacity. His father was a great Chabad leader too, but not a Rebbe. Uh, the Rebbe had a major task to have people go out to these places. Who wants to go? Nobody wants to know. Nobody wants to go. Uh, in the beginning, now there's not, there's no places. Everybody wants to go. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> but in the beginning, you know, so a young couple getting married, and finally, the grandfather, the, 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 the father of the, of the girl says, Oh, I'm going to have my daughter. I'm going to have where to go for Shabbos. Afternoon, they'll come to me. There'll be some grandchildren. We'll go to visit them. I remember uh, a cousin of mine, my first cousin, passed away, all of his kids went on shlichas. 
one in California, one in France, and one in Brazil. <laughs> he went all over the world. And he became old and frail. He said, well, well my kids near me. <laughs> Who's going to take care of me? They did take care of him. So everybody took care of him. And I know he was, you know, his daughter, hard time moving when they moved to France. I remember that story. Well, it was my first cousin. We were very close because we didn't have that much other relatives. But the Rebbe was telling the people, and so the people writes to the Rebbe, he says, I want my daughter to be near me. What are you sending them away? You know, oh. did your mother's father say, no, don't leave, stay nearby? I don't know. They said, don't go. They talk every day. They talk every day. So, and the Rebbe said to them, I am not sending you there for the other person. I'm sending it for your benefit. I have your interest in mind. You'll be successful. You'll build your home there. You'll... Yaakov amassed his shoyr v'chamer, everything he did. The Rebbe says to the father, to the grandfather, he told them, this is your, don't, I'm not looking out for anybody else's interest but yours. This is your calling of life. This is your opportunity to become a leader. This is your opportunity to do, accomplish something in this world, to do something positive. You will become a somebody. Don't worry, you know, today the world is a much smaller place than it used to be. I mean, for what, you know, they, I heard that they're planning to bring in the Concord again, you know, so for a couple of hours they're trying to Re, uh, restart that, you know, so... The airplane? Yeah, so like in three hours you can be in England and, you know, maybe in six hours you'll be in Israel or five hours, you know. <laughs> they're gonna, they're trying to, re, to reintroduce it to make it commercially viable uh, so that they should be able to make money on it. So, uh, these are... Um, Yaakov tells us that notwithstanding, when you go... On shlichut, you go on, and you try to do, and talking to the banot as well, they're doing holy work, working with Jewish children, working with education, inspiring them, the love of Hashem, the love of Eretz Yisrael, the love of the Jewish people, the responsibility, and I think more than you can teach them with words, say them, they look and they see. Here you have people left their home, left their language, left their environment, and came out to do of service, to serve, right? That's what it is. It's sherut, sherut lomi. That sherut means service. That's what they're doing, serving their people. So this is something which is very profound, and the children look at it and they say, besides what you teach them and you tell them about the importance, but just you're a living example. Like a shaliach says, look, I gave up something so that I can contribute. This is the Peace Corps. This is the our way, the Jewish Peace Corps, to go ahead. Now, Sharon is not China, and this is not, and this is a, a from school. I mean, it's not like a sacrifice, like, you know, that, and you, Baruch Hashem, I think they take good care. I hope they take good care, give you a good place to sleep, and give you a good place to eat, and I hope that they take good care of you. So it's not like, but still, still, still to home. live, to away from home, you know, you still. 
But this is the sense, and you need to know this, that, you know, in Israel, this is, they need to live by this because the law is that they have to serve, but it's so much healthier for young people to know that they have to do something for the community, they grow up much more responsible than just sitting here like some of the American couch potatoes sitting and watching TV all day and and doing, uh, doing nothing. You know, that's not, that's, they know that they got to serve. You know, they take them whether they like it or not, but that is a very healthy and a very good outbreak. So how, though, does a shaliach in a distant place when he doesn't have all this environment, how does he stay strong? And really we can learn this from the beginning of the Parsha, from the very beginning of the Parsha, in which a very strange thing happens. It says, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim. The Parsha begins, Yaakov sends angels, El Esav Achiv. Now notice it says both things. He says to Esav, his brother. Wasn't sure. He could have said just Alesov. He could have said just Achiv. He wasn't sure. Is he just Esav? Is he Achiv? Or he was hoping that he's Achiv. Or like the angels say, they reverse it. They say, we came who you think is your brother, but he's still Esav. But that's okay. That's in the Hasidic literature. They explain that. But he sends to his brother. And what does he say to him? He says to him, Im Lavan Garti. I lived with Lavan. The Rashi makes an interesting note that the word Garti is the same numerical value, same letters as Taryag. Tafresh Yud Gimel. Garti Gimel Resh Taf Yud. Same letter as Taryag. So he says that what he was telling him, Im Lavan Garti, Vitariag Mitzvot Shamarti. I kept the 613 mitzvot. Now, one will ask what kind of a 613 mitzvot were there. Uh, it was before Matan Torah. And what does it mean that he fulfilled the mitzvot? And how was he able to do the mitzvot? We're talking about generally speaking, they didn't know the mitzvot in a general way, maybe in a spiritual way, but it's not the discussion right now over here. But my discussion is, what I want to know is, why was he telling it to Esav that he keep it to 630 mitzvot? Why was it important for him to tell him? And what is the connection from that word, in Lavan Garti, with the idea, I lived with Lavan, with the with this interpretation, Tariag Mitzvot Shamarti. Garti means I lived, this is the mitzvot. But this is actually, the Rebbe says, a very powerful message that we have, how we can overcome, how we can live the life, and the way we should look at life, and hopefully have the strength to overcome all the challenges that come to us. And that's what Yaakov employed. And there was once a, a story 
that the Baal Shem Tov sent one of his students. You heard the Baal Shem Tov? Everybody heard the Baal Shem Tov? You heard the Baal Shem Tov? So the Baal Shem Tov once sent one of his students to say on his way, he said, you're going to pass by the city of Mizrich. I want you to say hello to this fellow, a rabbi, a student of mine. He expected, this guy was a wealthy businessman. So he expected that the Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov, is sending him to say hello, must be some important person, must be somebody of uh, great stature, must be somebody uh, living in a in a comfortable home, in a nice home. In a, but when he came to the home of the Maggid of Mizrich, he saw that he lived a very humble, a very simple, unassuming kind, very little furnishing and very little... And he was surprised that such an unimportant person, the Baal Shem Tov will send to say hello, it didn't seem like of any importance. And after telling him, he got up, he listened to Baal Shem Tov, didn't he? So, he said, you look a little perplexed, he says. Yeah, he says, I see how simply you lived, you don't, you don't look like you're any, any big macher, you're any big shot, you know, you don't look like just a very modest person. So the Maggie turns to the, uh, to the businessman, he says to him, and you, he says, what is your home? What does your house look like? Oh, I got furnishings, I got paintings, I got chandeliers, I got all kinds of stuff, you know, I haven't ruined it, all that. But the Maggid asks him, he says, new, but over here now, where you're staying, where you're walking, where is all your, uh, where's all your wealth? He says, ah, he says, look, here I don't take along my, <laughs> all my gold and all my jewelry and all my expensive stuff with me. He says, I'm just passing by over here, you know. At home, it's a different story, he says. In my home, I have all these beautiful stuff. But here, I'm just going on the way. This is my road. Ah, the Maggid says, look. He says, I'm just passing by. He says, you know, this world, he says, this is not my home. <laughs> my home is Kanadin Hashem, the Torah, the Mitzvah. That's my home. That's... That's what I'm going to tell I'm working for. Over here, the years that God gives us, 70, 80, 120, whatever God grants us, that's our journey. A journey I don't give too much importance for all the physical, for all the material stuff. Yeah, yes, no, no, I'm not. It's not something I'm on the road. <laughs> the Maggie told them I'm on the road, you know, and on the road is not important. Well, it's a pretty high level. But the question really is, how much really does all the physical, material world matter to you? How much importance do you place in that? Especially versus your moral, your spiritual, your emotional obligation. When you have to weigh them and you say, if I have to give up a little bit of 
my materialistic needs for my spiritual needs. It really doesn't mean that you have to give up anything because Yaakov was a rich, rich man and we said he didn't lose anything. But his approach was that the physical matters that he owned and possessed did not take up all of his mind, it did not take up all of his importance. That wasn't his most important. He says, Im lovon garti. I was like a stranger with lovon. He's saying, all these material things, the work and the money and the dealings and the... If it wasn't so important, he didn't get hurt so much. He didn't get so affected. It didn't scar him deeply. While he was affected on the surface from the pains and the sores he had with Esau and Lovon, but it only went on the surface. It didn't go down deep inside because deep inside he lived another kind of life. He lived a moral life. He lived a spiritual life. He, he didn't have time to learn the Torah, but it's still his Torah was so strong. In Lovon Garti, I was a stranger with Lovon. I didn't really pick up on Lovon's things. Why? Because Tayyak Mitzvah Shamarti. My main thing was the 613 Mitzvah. That was my key. That was my main thing. And he's basically telling to Esau, as long as I'm connected to Hashem, as long as I'm connected to the Tayyak Mitzvah, then there's no way that you will be able to uh, outdo me or conquer me. And I will be able. I want you to know I kept the Mitzvahs. And that's the most important thing to me. And we will prevail. And we as a Jewish people also have to always remember the same message. We have Hashem and the Torah on our side. We have, we're the moral compass for the entire world. It all becomes from the Jewish people from that time that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov were teaching the world about monetism, about kindness, about goodness, about morality. Now, of course, people are trying to mix things up and try to tell us that, you know, Israelis kill children. They, they you know, we are the spiritual compass and the level that the whole world needs to look up to. And we got to live that because we have to put everything in perspective that our connection to Eretz Yisrael is divinely, is godly, it's holy. We have a mission in life over here, not just to live, enjoy our material things, and just become successful materially, financially, but we need to have that moral guidance, the connection of Torah to do good, to make a difference in the world. And thank God for the Rebbe and thank God for Yudal Kislev who taught us and demanded and guided us all the time, reminded us of Yaakov that in love and Garti, that everything, the Gashmis, that's not the most important, that's the secondary, that should be the stranger. As the Pasuk says, a house he built for himself house but for his cattle he built Sukkot that's temporary which means a house a dwelling place for himself is for his neshama for his soul that's the most important part and 
when we do that, we have everything. We have both the material and the spiritual. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to give up on uh, anything. Because as you see, our forefathers, Avram, Yisrael, Yaakov, at the end of the day, they had, they had beautiful children, beautiful wives. They had a lot of wealth. They had, they had everything. So they were, as the Apostlech says, they were whole with their bodies. They were whole with their Torah, with their financialities, and they were also whole with their Torah. I don't know. It's but okay. They, now you uh, can... No, but they had a lot of... But he went through a lot of uh, trials and tribulations. But the reason it didn't affect him was... The reason it didn't affect him was because um, he wasn't the perspective. 